0: Hey, hey, this is Chase Masterson, host of Disco Nights, inviting you to join us every Sunday as the disco party continues with our fabulous guests. Like us. Like us. Like you. And you, our audience. So we'll see you here next Sunday night. Bring your disco shoes. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Trexperts. And if you're a fan of Battlestar Galactica, and who isn't, check out my new oral history of Battlestar Galactica with Ed Gross, So Say We All. It spans the complete history of Battlestar Galactica from the 1978 series to Ronald Moore's brilliant reinvention and even Galactica 1980. Available from Tor Books wherever books are sold. If you like movies as
1: much as we like movies, then you'll want to listen to the 430 Movie Podcast at 430movie.com and wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctorman. and we are the Inglorious Treksperts. Treksperts. Hey, and I am really excited. we got a very special episode for you today. It is Wolf in the Fold, Remembering Deep Space Nine. Now, why is it Wolf in the Fold? Well, that's because we have a very special guest joining us today, um, a producer on uh, Deep Space Nine. He also wrote for Star Trek The Next Generation and just came off a very successful run on elementary for CBS. Mr. Robert Hewitt-Wolf is joining us. Hey guys, Welcome. and once to, to be it, clear,
2: I have not come off of a successful run of Elementary. I'm still on a successful run of Elementary. Okay, well, <laughs> I came <laughs> off of it in that I drove here from there. <laughs> so I came off of he it today, Ubered, but from, tomorrow morning he'll be back. I'll be back.
0: <laughs> and once again, we are joined by uh, one of our favorite guests, me, um, Mr. <laughs> Ashley E. Miller is is back joining us here at Inglorious Trexperts. Hello, Ashley. Why, hello, everyone. Hello, Ashley. Hello. (laughs) Welcome. Oh, is Gene Roddenberry here, too? (laughs)
1: Gene Roddenberry is sometimes here, but uh, he tries not to show up because you don't pay very well, Mark. (laughs) Also, we're going to talk about
2: Deep Space Nine, so (laughs) his ghost will not haunt the room. Right.
3: (laughs) Well, maybe a little. (laughs) Well, you know, things I didn't like.
2: I I have to say,
0: (laughs) the... um, you know, Ira Bear. Back in the days when I was writing, when I was a journalist and writing for uh, different magazines about Deep Space Nine, Ira would always say, "You know, one day the show will be appreciated for you know what it is." In the sense that, you know, there was so much writing on, on the show when it came out, so much money, so much expectations uh, that you know be very hard to meet in terms of ratings, in terms of sort of uh, next generations being this cultural phenomena, and and Deep Space Nine. Um, existed alongside that, but it never achieved those heights in terms of ratings, in terms of uh, the, the you know, the kind of uh, pop culture phenomena. He said, one day, however, the show will be, you know, people will realize how, how phenomenal the show. And it really seems that that has happened, that that sort of prediction, that um, you know, and he looks like a guy who would, you know, with the with the, the glasses and the, the the beard. You look you know like kung fu, like grasshopper. One day, Deep Space Nine will be adapted as a, considered you know one of the great science fiction shows of all time, one of the great shows of all time.
1: Now that that's settled, I'm going to take care of this. Klingons make great warriors, but terrible doctors. Captain, just the man I wanted to see. We've been ordered to report to Starbase three seven five for reassignment. something else doctor i have news of the seventh fleet go on only 14 ships made it back to our lines
2: 14 out of 112
1: we can't keep taking these kinds of losses sir not if we expect to win this thank you doctor that will be all
0: I mean, is that something that you've sort of noticed in the last couple of of, of years, as particularly post-Netflix era?
2: I mean, I, it, it's a sentiment I certainly shared with Ira at the time. And, yeah, I think uh, in the last four or five years, especially since it's been streaming, I think that there's been a newfound appreciation of the show, which is very gratifying. I think it it helps, the format helps, because I think Deep Space Nine is a great show to binge, and you can binge it forever because there's a zillion episodes. but. Yeah. But uh, it it lends itself well to that format, better than it lent itself to being on at some random time on some syndicated station uh, preempted by football or hockey or whatever else at a moment's notice. Or summer. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, we we were airing in that syndication market, which was, even as we were coming on, just starting to fade. Uh, and so, you know, it was sometimes even a little hard to find us by the
0: end. I think, yeah. um, unless you were Jeopardy or, or uh, Wheel of Fortune, right? The first run syndicated market had hit its its pinnacle, and now it was sort of uh, starting to abate. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Well, tell us. You know, um, have you? Do you ever? You know, you go back and watch the show. I mean, you're a busy guy. I mean, you're you're working on a big network show, and you know, you got a lot of things going on. Do you ever like to say? You know, go back and watch an episode and say, "Oh my God!" You know, we really did great work back then, and uh, I remember this fondly. Or is it something that's sort of your distant past that you don't really think about much?
2: I, I look at, I see clips every once in a while, you know, on YouTube or or whatever. Uh, I did go back and watch the uh, finale for the documentary sure. because we got the writers' room back together for the documentary, mm. which hopefully will be out soon. Uh, and we did a little uh, faux story break of uh, season eight, episode one, so to prepare for that. I watched uh, the final episode of season seven again. But I haven't gone back and watched the whole thing, you know. Right. Uh, and I want to. It's it's really about finding the time.
0: You don't want to because that means you're like on hiatus and you have enough time to sit at home and watch TV. Exactly. <laughs> so. It means my third book, my third novel is finished and uh, I don't have any
2: assignments. Yeah. It means uh, you're not working. <laughs> means I'm not working at all. Um, but I, I do want to do it. I mean, it's just it's just really... Finding the time uh, in in this era of maximum television, you know, yeah, maybe I, when I'm old and gray, yeah. uh, which is like Tuesday, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, how is the the the, the uh, episode going to be? Uh, let's let's, uh, let, let's let's pretend for a second that that uh, season eight is being made and that uh, <laughs> uh, the episode is is debuting this fall on or January on uh, in first run syndication. How'd it turn out? <laughs> I, I think it turned out
2: great. Look, I mean. Uh, sitting down in a room with ira and ron and renee and hans and breaking story is just a pleasure and it just reminded me you know uh, modestly i would say we were pretty darn good at it and so we had a great time we spent about eight hours we broke uh part one of a two-part opening um lots of fun character stuff lots of you know uh, getting the band back together and uh we 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 broke it as if we were going to shoot it you know, mm-hmm. we broke it as if we're shooting it now, which means everyone is the age they are now, and 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 there's some returning, you know, many returning favorites in our in our in our palace of the mind version of the show. <laughs> uh, so we had a lot of fun doing it. It was, uh, I think, you know, the the fans can see there's clips of it throughout the documentary, and then I think there's going to be some supplemental material, which may be like an entire. I don't think it'll be all eight hours. I right. suspect it'll be edited down <laughs> yeah. and see my saggy jeans for like uh, two all hours. All the snack eating will yeah, be done. Yeah, snack eating. <laughs> there may have been some whiskey drinking and paper cups that we'll, we'll we'll have cut out, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's very instructional for an audience that's interested in seeing how a room works. They can see what snacks you're eating, you know. They yeah, can... <laughs> sure. I, I, if you're interested in such things and they make this available, it, I think it, it's a
2: great it would be great to watch because we really did break it down just like we used to. We started off brainstorming ideas. People came with a couple pitches. We f- home, you know, homed in on a story we thought was going to work, uh, and then we just went from there. You did know? you have a writer's assistant taking notes, or no? I, I wrote up on the board. Yep. Oh, wasn't man. that your job? Uh, <sighs> it was I was the guy who did it when the PA or the intern wasn't available. <laughs> so I, you know, I was sort of the backup. When Phil Kim dude. was
3: off doing something else. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, Phil, yeah. No, it was more. Usually, it was the PA or the intern okay. uh, that wrote on the board on Deep Space Nine. So the first thing they had to learn was good handwriting. But well, I was, uh, say, I was that's the key. I was the one who filled in when they weren't available. Usually, so I I just filled in in this case.
1: I just want to know how much uh, thought you guys put into um, Odo's new bucket.
0: <laughs>
1: that's a props problem that's, yeah. not a,
0: that's not a writer's problem an interesting question coming from the concept designer <laughs> exactly
2: concept designer John Eves draws Friend. a bucket that's, that's how you that's Bring how much thought we would have, yeah. Yeah, that's how much <laughs> thought we would have put into designing
0: a bucket yeah, we is. like
2: that one thanks John
0: that's awesome yeah. <laughs> Too focused on what the song would be hey that's great guys glad you like it <laughs> <laughs> now, you guys also worked together on Andromeda yes uh, we do. Uh, another Gene Roddenberry great <laughs> The, the Jean, well, Gene Roddenberry's yeah. Andromeda. Yeah, air quotes.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there, look, there were there were legitimately aspects of some of Gene's work in Andromeda. Yeah,
3: yeah. certainly there was a name. There was a character. There name. was
2: the char- There were some character names. There were some character concepts. There were some themes. There were more than one character names. So the bad. I mean, the bad yeah, guys true. in 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 Genesis Two or whatever. Well, or Dylan
0: Hunt also was Dylan true. Hunt. Yeah, that yeah.
2: name Harper. Uh, the Tyrians were the bad guys, and they're very much like the Nietzscheans, so that was all. And Tyr, obviously, was our poster child for the Nietzscheans. Right. So there were—that's
0: about it. Oh, and Sentient
2: that- Starship, which he'd written, like, a two-page uh, proposal for. Hmm.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. And it, this really was the end of the first-run syndication era because— Yeah, it- for sure. Yeah, that was the that- death
2: knell of it. Like, we were—we were—we were—, we were, we were uh, you know, we we always talked about it like we were trying to launch those those uh, those refugee ships off of Hoth as the as the as the bombardment was raining down on us, as syndication was dying all around us. Every episode that we finished was like one more right. evacuate eva- full of evacuees that we managed to sneak <laughs> out under the gunfire. Um, yeah, it, it, it was just a market that completely died. I mean, it's sort of weirdly been now replaced by streaming. Yeah, for sure. um, It's a similar model in some Except ways. A lot, a lot b- bigger budgets. <laughs> so much bigger. Oh, yeah. my
3: God. No, I mean- We look, could make- We've we lunches that cost more than-
2: Yeah. We could have made 100 episodes of Andromeda for what it costs to make a season of The Romanovs. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. <laughs> well, maybe not 100, maybe 50, but still- and you like probably had a lot more people than watching eight. it too. <laughs> or ten or whatever the heck it was. How oh. what was your budget on Andromeda? What were you spending? Do you remember? Uh one point one million dollars an episode, of which three hundred thousand dollars ish was above the line. Mm.
0: This is Kevin Sorbo. Most of that
2: was going to Kevin.
0: Because he had just come off of Hercules, so yeah. he was yep. a big name though
2: So there was Kevin, there was the Roddenberry State. there were a lot of other like little bits and pieces. That's not counting like the other actors' salaries. And so we had a massive amount of that Of that $1.1 million, almost all of it was fixed costs. Yeah. So we didn't really have any money uh, in the episodic budget. I think the episodic budget, the discretionary budget for an episode of Andromeda was like $100,000. Yeah, it was nothing.
0: And yeah. you shot in Toronto or Vancouver?
2: Vancouver. The only thing that saved us was the Canadian dollar was like $0.63 cents at the time.
0: Ah, uh, those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So And that's where you guys met, isn't it?
3: Yeah, well, we actually... We met on the internet.
0: Yeah. Uh <laughs> dating. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh arguing Grindr. arguing no. with trolls. That didn't <laughs> exist then. On the internet. Uh, uh. about
3: Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, my my erstwhile uh writing partner, Zach Stenz, had written an article about the uh the, the way that um Deep Space Nine fans and Babylon five fans uh presented many of the features that you would find present in um, in sort of Middle Eastern uh, religious uh, ah. clashes, and uh, he had interviewed Robert for this article. He tried to interview uh, J. Michael Straczynski, and uh, Straczynski declined the interview. And the article was actually
0: quite interesting. It was very Zach good. That was a great journalist. He, he really did some was. great articles when he was uh, writing for uh, absolutely. And that stuff.
3: was a great article. And he even he copped to the fact that he had asked, you know, for this this interview, mm-hmm. and that, that uh, Straczynski had declined it. Um, and of course, the internet doesn't care. I mean, as you think the outrage mobs now are crazy? Imagine like the outrage mobs, but like you know, erudite.
2: But they were so <laughs> much smaller. The outrage mobs yes. back then were like five guys. There were like five <laughs> dudes. who were very literally angry. five. I mean, like it was five. really like five, six guys on a on a BBSE or. I uh, think it might still but they be had those five guys, forty <laughs> characters. It might well be. But
3: there was a there was a huge fight on the internet, and uh, I sort of stepped in the middle of it, and that's how I met Robert and, and Zach. But Honestly, I feel like um, Deep Space Nine was my introduction to to Robert uh, because when he foolishly invited us to go and, uh, and pitch um, a, a lot on, on Andromeda, a lot of uh, of how we pitched and the stories we chose and how we chose to structure them and what, what we did were really based on uh, understanding and, and loving Deep Space Nine on a deep level mm. um, and particularly breaking down how those stories tended to work um, and you know, and and sorry, it was a, it was a little manipulative, but but figuring out like how Robert thought about story kind of based on, you know, how he wrote those episodes. and obviously, um, you know, our 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 interests in what we were writing were were true and and they were inherent to us. And it was none of that was bullshit. But we we learned how to speak Robert uh, just by just by rewatching that show and and really sort of thinking obscure about it. language. It really isn't
2: by very many people anymore.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> like yet it's
2: Esperanto. awesome. Exactly.
3: But no, it was great because it wasn't just like the beginning of like a really great collaboration. I mean, Robert was you know he was basically like my my first and my only uh, film studies professor. You know, in terms of just like the practicalities of like doing all this shit. Um, but obviously. You know, we're okay with each other. Um, you know, you're godfather of my nine-year-old. This is true. Uh, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons on Saturday. Twins? You had enough of him being no, godfather? No, fuck those guys. Yeah. You know what? I wouldn't- Their souls can would take burn. Them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to hell with them. That's just, no. It's, no, we tried. We tried to take them into the church, and like there was this massive electrical discharge. Yet
1: you never even thought to call him godfather. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we did, but no. I mean, it's it's uh, it was just one of those things, where I think um, you know we bonded over story certainly, um, and kind of what a lot of what I learned and kind of my own sort of um, instincts about story come from Deep Space Nine. So Deep Space Nine means quite a lot to me, just as a as a viewer, as a writer, um, as a as a as a Star Trek fan, as a consumer of it. Um, so it was just it was always sort of an interesting exercise. I feel like uh, I said in another podcast that I feel like Michael Piller is like. My great grandfather. It's uh, your in,
2: grandfather, really? No, it's only one
3: generation. Well, it's well, Ira, right? So Michael, then yeah. I had two grandpas. Okay, cool. Yeah, I had two dads. I had two dads. I had two dads. You have two. <laughs> I you have have two many. Grandpas. You have two grandpas. Yeah, then Grandpa was sort of my dad for a little it's while. Like a, it's but,
2: like a coaching tree. A little right television writing, is a little bit like a coaching tree in the NFL. There's certain, uh, there are certain head writers who trained many other successful head writers and Ira and Michael Piller are definitely uh, in that category and then because of that the people that they trained trained other people and so you've got uh, a fairly large coaching tree essentially coming out of the Star Trek shows that includes you know dozens of people who either learn directly from uh, Michael and Ira and Jerry Taylor or they learn from the people who learn from them and so uh, there's still, I, I think our influence, their influences through us in the writers' rooms all over Hollywood are still being felt.
0: Yeah, no, it's funny that Robert mentions that because, you know, in a previous episode, we were talking, you know, Great Birds of the Galaxy and, we were giving Michael the well-deserved credit for how many writers came out of that writer's room who have created their own shows or worked on shows and been super successful. And, I, you know, I know that we, we sort of struggled with sort of Rick's legacy a little bit, but on the director level, if you look at the, the, the people that came out of Star Trek, you know, and this is a credit to Rick Berman, um, you know, Frakes, you know, who went on to have a very successful feature and TV career, um, you know, Roxanne Biggs-Dawson has been working nonstop, since Voyager, you know, Le, you know, Lavar. I mean, Robbie yeah. McNeil now right. uh, does a ton of uh, episodic uh, directing. So that was something that came out of Star Trek that we we don't often think about. That was a direct, you know, when he gave Frakes the opportunity to direct on that show, and then there were a lot of other people who had the opportunity who haven't necessarily broken out as directors, whether it be Avery or David Livingston. Well,
2: Avery was a terrific director. He just didn't really, he wasn't really interested in doing more of it. I think mm. when he was done with Deep Space Nine, I mean. In a way, like he was already returning to academia and doing stage plays, and and so I think that that just he, he was excellent at it. I just don't think it was his calling. Yeah, you know, yeah. if he had wanted to make a career out of it, I I think he certainly could have. You have to be career.
0: passionate. It's not a day job. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's a crazy it's a crazy job. I mean, like like Lucy's uh, for us on Elementary is doing it now, and she's great at it, and she's doing other shows, and that's something that mm-hmm. that like Jonathan Frakes. And LeVar did even, you know, back then, but like Avery never really did. And yeah, I think it was that's the same thing with
0: Patrick. Like, he did one or two episodes. Yeah, he directed And he f- enjoyed it, but yeah, he never. Patrick
2: directed the first episode of television I ever
0: wrote. So um, a fistful of datas, a fistful of datas. That's correct. Which is so funny because you were the only Western fan among anybody who, because Brandon didn't know anything about Westerns, oh. Patrick didn't know anything about Westerns. Robert
3: Wolf, 101 If you want to get it past him, pitch it as the Western.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the Funny thing is, like, I'm not even a huge. I'm not particularly a huge Western fan. Like, if I'm gonna sit down and watch something, it's probably not going to be a Western. But I appreciate Westerns for their structural mm-hmm. uh, approach, and I, I, I learned a tremendous amount from watching Westerns. So I wouldn't even call myself a fan of All the right. Western, but I was certainly a student of the Western. And so understanding the sort of functionality of of a Western and how it works and why it works, character, theme, plot, it, that that to me is an important tool to have for a writer. Um, and you can still you see the influence of it on a million. Th- I mean, Breaking Bad has kind of got a lot of those those mm-hmm. those influences. Tropes, yeah. So certainly, like, there's a lot there to to study. You know, and yeah, I don't, Brandon. I mean, Brandon. I, I'm not going to speak for Brandon. I I think he he
0: certainly understood westerns. You know, I don't think he, I don't know if he was a huge fan. Patrick, no, he, I don't know. He's definitely said on many occasions that he was never a western fan. He had a sort of do a binge, you know, and before yeah. it was easy to binge his stuff to, like, watch Rio Bravo and watch a bunch yeah. of these things because he didn't know westerns.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, it, uh, it turned out great, so I was a freelancer then so that, you know, in the days when you when when you were a freelancer back in those days, you basically, you wrote the script based on the outline that you'd broken together with the, with the staff and then you, you handed them the script and you walked away, you know? Yeah. Badasses don't look back at the explosions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because then it was their job to really... Do whatever they felt needed to be done to it, um, and that's what that's what Brandon did. And then, you know, I think Patrick did a great job. So and it it it's funny around.
0: because that episode feels really fresh, despite the fact that you know it's a lot of. The cliches of Trek at that point—the holodeck malfunction, sure. uh, Brent playing multiple characters—and it's probably the best of all those because the holodeck malfunction story, you know, it's great. It gives you the opportunity to play on this great canvas of the Western, and and then you know go and do some great location work, and uh, and then I think Brent is really wonderful in that in a way that he's not like in something like Masks, right. You know, it's a really fun playing the multiple characters. I mean, it, in my mind, when I originally pitched it, it was a tribute to Spectre of the Gun. Mm-hmm. So
2: we speak, Spectre of the Gun here. <laughs> um, yeah, which a I've always had, a, I've always had a fond fondness for that mm-hmm. episode, and I just thought it was it would be a fun thing to do a modernized I, version of that, and the and the holodeck just lends itself to that. I mean, obviously, omnipotent aliens are the other way to go. Right. right? Uh, you can have Q put you in Robin Hood if you want, but I just thought it would be fun to do as a, a Western, and I also wanted to uh, sort of incorporate some of the elements of, ultimately, like, there's some cyberpunk elements in there, right? which, you know, I'd like to pride myself on introducing a little bit of <laughs> back in the day when cyberpunk was like a shiny new toy right. that right. not a pe- lot of people had played with yet. Pre-Matrix. So- yeah.
3: Can we talk a little bit about no. so the whole conversation about um, westerns and structure because what you're what you're really what you're really kind of laying out for people that I don't know that um, is intuitively obvious unless you know unless they know you is um, you are a very analytical person. <laughs> like you are so excellent at breaking things down and kind of figuring out how things work. and I know that on occasion, this has gotten you in trouble because you also like to tell everyone what you've figured out. So let's talk a little bit about, and we'll sort of start with your garage, uh, and the map of Bejor. Sure. Uh, and you know the the story, um, possibly apocryphal. Maybe you can kind of correct the record on um, on your memo, on the Dominion, and on.
2: Uh, Cardassia and all of that. The the second time I almost got fired? Yes. (laughs) Let's talk about that. Um, Well, uh, that was – I would characterize that as a misunderstanding more than anything else. So what had happened with the Dominion was over the summer between season one and two – and when I say summer, I mean we were still working – and we hadn't taken our hiatus yet, and we were mostly done with season one.
0: We had tiny hiatuses, 26 episodes. Yeah, seasons, we had like maybe two, three
2: weeks. So we were talking about how to distinguish the Gamma Quadrant from everything else, how to make it special, unique, and interesting, and so we came up with the idea of the Dominion as a group. This was Ira and me and Pete uh, mostly um, coming up with all this stuff and then pitching it to Michael as we as we went along. And at one point, we had sort of spun out the whole thing to Michael. He had, uh, he really liked it. Um, he asked me to write a memo th- about what we were going to do. And so I wrote a memo to Michael Piller from Robert Wolf. Here's what we've been discussing with the Dominion. Boom. And it's like a two, three page memo, I think, and it lays out the vorta and the gemhadar and the founders why they are the way they are some historical backing you know some some stuff we'd lifted from history how they all functioned together sent it off to him and he loved it he thought it was great now again this wasn't me coming up with ideas this was us this is me expressing ideas we'd all come up with but then all he did was he just wrote cc rick and sent that memo to Rick. And Rick misinterpreted what had happened. Ooh. He thought that essentially I, the, the lowest ranking writer on the staff, had come up with a pitch for what we should do for the rest of the series. Right, and that <laughs> and, you were trying to do an end run. And that I was trying to do some kind of end run around maybe Ira or Pete or both <laughs> or whatever. Or and I certainly hadn't. And he didn't understand that I'd had permission not only. He didn't understand that it was part of a team effort and that I'd been especially re- told to do this. And so he was quite angry, hmm. uh, I think, in defense of Ira hmm. and and uh, in sort of the defense of the chain of command. But it was all explained to him very quickly and it all got ironed out, you know, quickly. And Michael told him and it was fine. So so it was like literally, I think, I heard about the dra- what, what little drama there was. You know, I think it was probably like a two-minute angry misunderstanding that was quickly ironed out. I think mythologically it's become, become a little thing. more. Robert <laughs> Wolfe yeah. L'Enfant Terrible. Yeah, L'Enfant Terrible Robert Wolfe came up with the Dominion and almost got fired for it. That's not what <laughs> happened. In a coup
0: to, in a coup <laughs> to take over <laughs> yeah, the show. Right. None of that is true. Robert Wolf. It's a
2: good story but it's not true. So, and it's, it, much, it's much sexier than the first time I was almost fired. When was the first time? At the end of season one. Okay. Michael was just hadn't seen enough he thought for me yet you know, to show my worthiness to stay. And uh, I, ra- I argued that I had shown that, especially with uh, in the hands of the prophets. And, for sure. And um, Michael was persuaded that that was the case, and that was pretty much the end of that. Well, there you go. <laughs> Again, not very dramatic. I mean, for me, it was horrible. It was like two horrible days, but... But uh, we'll
1: have a much more interesting headline on the clickbait uh, yeah, yeah, post yeah, yeah. That we have <laughs> uh, all the time. I took a meeting with the
2: X Files very quickly, uh, <laughs>
0: uh, and then and then it all got ironed out, and I came back. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, after Emissary, there's really not a great episode until Duet and In the Hands of the Prophets. Yeah. <laughs> well, no,
2: Progress, I, progress is, is, oh, is, progress is good. good. Progress, I, is progress, progress is good. good. I,
0: like, I think Dax is a
2: pretty good episode, yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, I think there are definitely five or six pretty good episodes in that first season. But, yeah, it, I mean, it's, a, it's an uneven—you know, we were finding our footing in that first season. Um, you know, certainly it's difficult to defend The Passenger. You know, Um, my defense of my work on The Passenger is that there's a lot of ands and ampersands on that on that title card. (laughs) Um, And and the worst thing that the the, the worst misstep in The Passenger wasn't in the script. (laughs) So, Sid. (laughs) <laughs> that voice. What were you doing? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> what was the episode with like the freaking game and the? Oh God! Move along, move, home. move along, move, home. Home. I yeah, move along. There,
2: you know, it's it's hilarious because <laughs> with the with the resurgence of the show uh, and people watching them again, some of the people for the very first time, it's it's not unusual to see people speak rather highly of move along home (laughs) because they just think it's a delightful little lark you know (laughs) they they just see the humor in it and they enjoy it for what it was because their expectations aren't um for it to be important television you know their expectations aren't for it to measure up to next generation See, mm. At its full flight. Now, don't forget, there were some pretty terrible episodes of Next Generation in the beginning too, while they were finding their right. feet. And at the end. And, <laughs> but, yeah. but we we were being compared to like the full Legend. force right. yes. of the most legendary seasons right. of Next Generation, and so Move Along Home comes along, which is a lighter, fun little goofball episode, admittedly, and our actors are playing hopscotch with an alien girl. And yeah, they didn't. People did
0: not like that.
2: Uh, but in retrospect, there are people who really like that episode. They just think it's goofy and fun and kind of delightful. Uh, I don't know whether I would agree with them if I watched it again. But I remember watching it at the time, thinking we were we were uh, we were uh, expletive deleted. Uh, we were in trouble.
3: Well. I- I mean, I haven't watched but it in 25 no, it, it, years, so yeah, maybe yeah. if I watched it now, maybe i like it. Love I love it. I remember yeah. the actor. I remember his face. It just haunts me. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, All I
0: remember is this, the, you know, yeah, all the
2: rain, and all rain all that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah. all the yeah. hand um, flailing and hopping But in along. fairness
3: to season one, um, first of all, a shorter... Season, secondly, well, somewhat shorter, uh, like
0: 18 or something, yeah, something like that. But because it premiered in January, right? Yeah, and but like compared to the first season hours. or the second season, of that's Next too Generation, short a season, it, like it, yeah, See it uh, it, oh, nice. it pretty much kicked the crap
3: out of them. There was like, and there's nothing in those early seasons of Next Gen that kind of compares to something like Duet, but um, but that said, I think Drumhead.
0: Well... No, you mean the early well, season. Oh, the early I fourth. mean, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mean, I mean, like, in first, the first two second, and, like, and, like, yeah. They never like, got close yeah, but to But Duet is, like, early, yeah. is
3: honestly one of the top many. Of the- yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, an early success. So. Yeah. That
2: was an early success for sure. I, I, I think that we, we were finding ourselves, like you do with any show, we were figuring out what our actors were good or best at. You know, we had a really great cast, but we were really figuring out what kind of stories we could tell uh, with them and in this setting... Um and yeah, there there are clearly some episodes that are misconceived. There are some episodes that probably the conception of them isn't so bad, but the execution of them, for whatever reason, isn't is not what it should have been. Well, the um, pilot was so expensive that by the time you get into we were, the episodes, yeah, you were we you were know. a little bit we were we were having to be a little more contained. But I, I don't even think that was real. I wouldn't blame the budgets. We we had plenty of money. I think it was really about understanding what kind of stories we could tell best, and then telling them. I mean, look, we had missteps forever. Like we we I don't think there was a season that didn't have at least one stinker. Right, oh, that's um, a twenty six episode season. You're always, but like, that's always part of part of that. that was like yeah, understanding understand that we were we were on that hamster wheel from the word go. There were only. Four of us in season one, five because we eventually added somebody, uh, but a lot of freelance scripts being written by people who had not written the show before either, or hadn't even who seen were, the show, who hadn't even seen the show, though. hadn't seen the actors, had no idea yeah. what they were doing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was a tough, pro- it was a tough process. Uh, it's a first year show is always tricky, um, and I, you know, I think we did enough good work. There are definitely watchable episodes in oh, there. There are some great episodes in some there. I, really, mean, I mean, Duet is arguably one of the top episodes of the show, and not many shows have that. Of, and Emissary is shows. probably one of the best pilots of the Star Trek yep. shows. For and sure. I, I'm pretty happy with um,
0: In the Hands of the Prophets. Yes, the, it's yeah, great. That's, that's a, a great finale. And it kicks off that, that troika of episodes in yeah. season two really well, too. Yeah.
2: So, like, you know, we were figuring it out. We figured it out pretty fast, I think. You know, there are less stinkers for sure in season two, and I think it— Season two holds together. Season two yeah. is great. It See is. Now season pretty is damn well. Um, so. I,
3: I think Dude. for me, the episode where I thought, like, okay, now I understand this show. Like, I get it. We've talked about it, but, um, but progress. Yeah, progress for sure. Like, when I saw progress and the ending of that show, yeah. I said, oh... I 100% get deep space 9. Yep. I 100% understand, I understand what makes it work. Yep. And in a lot of ways, like I, I talked about kind of going back and breaking down like like what worked in like and what didn't to kind of get inside your head. Um and I realized that's all, you know, a, a a group effort. But but that episode for me kind of became um you know, it it was it was it was like a lodestone, you know, for yeah. like figuring well, out.
2: Well, it was a template. That episode you could argue was a template with what I was trying to do with Andromeda. Right. And I think what the scripts largely successfully did when I was there. And then ultimately we couldn't always produce, you know, or we couldn't always, you know, the vision of what was on the page didn't always get it onto the stage on that show. But I think that the the template was progress. like yes. that was sort of a perfect kind of example of the kind of thing that I wanted to do. Uh, a really interesting character study of one of our leads interacting with a problem that was very difficult to solve in which that character finally does solve the problem in a way that makes perfect sense but is very difficult emotionally. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know? That the the final decision is is emotionally heartrending, but ultimately probably for the greater good and but it costs a little piece of the character's soul to do is it. There
0: David, uh, Brian Keith? Yeah. yeah yes. that was great. And he was wonderful. He was yeah, great. I yeah. think
2: it's one of his last last performances. I think.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the sort of uh Seed of the uh, idea of bringing in the Defiant to the show,
2: and Uh, and yeah, uh, and I can tell you exactly why. What changes
1: that brought?
2: Yeah, so why the Defiant? Because the Runabout sets sucked. Mm. Mm. They were too small. They we could not get more than two people. They could not move in the cockpits. The back area was never very satisfying. So it was very difficult. We wanted to have adventures in the Gamma Quadrant. Mm. And from a practical production point of view, the, the the literal vehicle we had to convey our characters into the Gamma Quadrant was, was not good. Wasn't able to do it. It yet. was not able to do it. We needed a ship, not a boat, you right. know? And so that was the initial impulse. And from there, the discussion was, well, what kind of ship do we want to have that would make Deep Space Nine uh, its own—that would fit— Deep Space Nine in a unique way that would make you mobile, but not just like the other shows. Right. We wanted, if we were going to have a ship, we wanted the ship to express character. Right. Uh, the character of our crew, and of our of our show, and the Defiant. We thought really, look, the name, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, Defiant. You know, that's Deep Space Nine. Defiance is one of the one of the signature emotional through lines of the show. Right. Defiance in the face of great odds, defiance in the face of, you know, uh, uh, public disapproval, mm-hmm. you know, defiance in the face of an unfair and, and unfriendly universe, you know, uh, that was a lot of the, the subtext of the show. Right. Um, and it was very personally connected, I mean on a character level
3: to Cisco. So very personally connected. It felt like an extension of him.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh uh you know, there's internet memes that call the defiant, I'm gonna approximate it. You know, Benjamin Cisco's badass right hand, you right. know. Mm. Um he built this ship to destroy his foes. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's he why he built it. Yeah. He personally <laughs> designed this ship. To smote, <laughs> to smite, smite, to, to smite. smite. Yes. He wanted it to smite the Borg,
1: and they shall be smoten. And then he used it to smote the heck out of things.
2: Uh, but but more than that, you know, it was it was an uncomfortable ship. It was a impractical ship. Hmm. It was a ship that was an as much of a misfit toy as every character on the station and as the station itself was a misfit toy. Mm. Um, It was not ever intended to be a beautiful ship. You know, it was always intended to look a little wrong vis-a-vis the rest of the Federation ships, a little uglier, a little more brutal, uh, it, it, the the sets were supposed to look a little uncomfortable. Yes, we wanted our characters to be able to stand and move around and talk to each other and have scenes where they could walk and talk and all that good stuff, mm-hmm. we wanted them to have to duck so they did not mm. bump their heads into bulkheads. You know, we wanted the quarters to be uncomfortable looking. So when Garrick is sentenced to being sent back to the quarters and confined to them, he can say that they're too claustrophobic, you know.
0: Um, Foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> When did you realize the show was not a star vehicle? Because, you know, so many of the other Star Treks, you look at the first show, it's, it's it's the Troika of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And as Shatner often dismissively called them, the Seven Dwarves, right? But it was a star vehicle. You know, certainly the, the second um, uh, next generation, really, as we talked about in previous episodes, becomes Picard, Data, War, the Picard, Data, War Show. You know, it's a star vehicle in a sense. Deep Space Nine... You know, you think is going to originally be driven. You know, emissary is all about. You know, uh, Cisco and 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 this tragedy he's gone through. But then you start to realize, this is definitely an ensemble show. The life forms who created the wormhole have agreed to allow safe passage for all ships traveling to the Gamma Quadrant. With the
1: arrival of the Enterprise, the Cardassians have left the area. I suspect that the sight of their warship being towed by a Federation runabout took the heart out of their fight. We're not done with the Cardassians yet. Not with the strategic importance of that wormhole. Well, you've put Bay Jor on the map, Commander. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Captain, regarding our conversation about someone to replace me. Yes, I'm sorry I haven't had time yet to communicate that to Command. I would prefer you ignore it, sir. Sure, that I can. Are you certain that's what you want? Because we cannot afford to have a commanding officer who is. I'm certain, sir. Good luck, Mr. Sisko.
0: And it's such a rich tapestry, and it's such a deep bench of characters that you can play with, uh, and it just keeps expanding for the life of the show. You know, how did that sort of evolve? I think it wasn't a real, it It wasn't
2: a vacuum that made it not a star vehicle. It was an abundance of riches that made it not yeah. a star vehicle. In other words, we had so many great characters and so many terrific actors that we wanted to give them all lots of fun things to do and maximize. The potential of all those characters interacting with each other so that meant that there was no one character that was going to dominate the show in the same way that you know Picard dominated the next generation I, I'm not not saying that there weren't other great actors on that show because there certainly were but Patrick Stewart just has this tremendous presence mm-hmm. that that sort of Gravitized. Demands scenes, yeah. you know, and Avery has that, too. But we had other characters who had the same sort of presence. I mean, Armin Shimmerman demands scenes. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Cork could have been a throwaway character, you know. Uh, once Michael showed up, he demanded scenes, you know. Um, the Nod demand scenes. Renee Obert, you know, so we just had you go down the list. They're all really good. And even at, Terry, who started out the neophyte and would admit that, Got to be really good, and the yeah. character was super interesting. And she's, and once we figured out how to write for her and she got more comfortable, she turned out to be terrific too. Sid. Sid, amazing, like terrific, you know, calm, like, oh, my God, f- f- spectacular actors. So, so you've got all these terrific actors, really interesting characters that Michael created, and so th- that was just the gravity of it. You know there there Iris said once to one of the other actors, it's in the documentary or he said yeah I think he said in the documentary like uh, one of the act, one of the guests was thinking we didn't like him uh yeah, this is this a spoiler for the documentary and Iris said we keep writing for you that's how you know we like you.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, that's how you know you're doing a good job on a sh- on a show like this. Is you keep getting more scenes. You mm-hmm. know, you show up for one episode playing a tailor, and then you get thirty
0: something of them.
3: Spoiler alert! I think I know. <laughs> I-, I
0: think he said that in the book too, in Fifty Year Mission. Yeah. I think he says the same thing. But it's yeah. yeah, it's true. That should be an indication. But it just goes to show how insecure actors are. And it's you know, well, it's, it's, for
2: a, it's a tough job it's a tough to be job. secure
0: in. You Very know, much so. It's
2: just a real, especially when you're you're a guest, when you're not on the call sheet every day, when you're not in the main credits, that's a that's a tough place
0: to be emotionally. Uh, recurring in. I think, is a, you know, a hard gig, and you could go at any time.
2: Yeah, and some some look at the end of the day, they all everyone did great. That's why they were all there till the end. And we had 29 characters or whatever the heck that wow. had multiple it's, it's episodes. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: And, you know, Deep Space Nine really evolves without a template because the other Star Trek shows all sort of start from the same place and they evolve, Next Generation. It's the original with, you know, it's spun, but it's the original. You know, Voyager is very much the Next Generation, spun. But Deep Space Nine is its own beast, you know. And, and again, I think that's why you have a first season where it's trying to find itself and then it sort of starts to lock in. It's an amazing accomplishment. Thanks. Uh, we're, we're really proud of it.
3: And <laughs> you know, None of the other shows, I think, have, um, you know, Enterprise, Discovery. I mean, even as those things kind of became a little more serialized or a lot serialized in the case of Discovery, I don't think that serialization was the key to what made Deep Space Nine work. It's like, I just don't feel those same energies present in those shows. Like, right. But I think that's good. It's like, it, um, I, I, I like that that Deep Space 9 kind of exists and is its own expression of the Star Trek universe, particularly the the next generation era of the of the universe and it makes honestly it made um, it just it, it made the next generation when we saw them again, it made it feel bigger. So in first contact, when the defiant tough it's a tough little ship little. you know when <laughs> when the defiant shows up, even though she gets destroyed in first contact, it's like, oh cool. it's like the universe just felt bigger,
2: you know. So. Yeah, I, I think I think Deep Space Nine weirdly by being stationary created more mythology yes. than you do mm-hmm. when you move because we had to continue playing with the larger mythology of the universe, and we couldn't run and go spend an hour with know, someone else's with someone story, else's little story and yeah. and with the guest star of the week and their little culture that we're never going to see again. We were grappling with the Romulans, the Cardassians, the Bajorans, the Dominion. The Breen, you know, which were a throwaway joke, right? Next generation and became a big part of Deep Space Nine by the end. The Ferengi, who, you know, complicated and can be a lot of fun, but can also you know, show us some of our, our foibles and that's what we use them for. I
0: mean, it was Star Trek's Game of Thrones. I mean, you yeah. it was Empire, Empire building, yeah. world building. Especially
2: by the, by the time we built, once we built that engine and really wound it up and got it going, all the politics, the changing relationships, the betrayals, the Cardassians and the Klingons keep changing sides. It's, you know, we got, and we got, and the other thing I think that makes our show kind of interesting versus versus the others is that even as we got into that serialization we never gave up on theme. I assume Captain Sisko removed or destroyed everything of value?
1: Not everything. What is that?
2: A message from Sisko. I don't understand. (laughs) He's letting me know He'll be back. You know, mm-hmm. we we really felt like the show had to still be about something, and we had to say something that was interesting and surprising.
0: We, which is was, what's so great about your episode, Past Tense. You know, which really deals thanks. with something meaningful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We
2: wanted to do that. We wanted to embrace that part of the sort of Roddenberry storytelling matrix. Um, we weren't going to boldly go, but we were going to explore, you know, the strange new worlds and do that deeply and and tell the kind of metaphorical stories that he he embraced. Um, That was important to us. And I think that that unique mix of sort of light serialization, great character arcs, and really heartfelt thematic explorations with, again, surprising... Resolutions is is sort of what made the show work.
0: And, and Deep Space Nine took a you know character a race that was intriguing in Next Generation, but deepens it so much, which is the Cardassians. I mean, they own the Cardassians. I mean, w- it's just phenomenal what what uh, what Deep Space Nine does with them as a race, and just obviously Mark Lamo is so sincere, you know terrific. tour de force performance Casey, and terrific. Casey Biggs, oh my God. Yeah. Andy, really great, terrific.
2: Like we had three great actors to play our main Cardassians, uh, and even some of the guys who came and went, Dooley, Paul Dooley, and oh, stuff yeah. like yeah, that. You sure. know. Was amazing. We had a Twice. lot of great people make those characters come to life, and we really got to... It was this, this thing. You're sitting on a space station that they built. You get to explore who they are, their backstory, you know, the, their grappling with
0: fascism and, and what
2: that all means.
0: As we are today. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you a question. Uh, because you're a big uh, original Star Trek fan, Star Trek fan. Um, who's Rafe Needleman? Yeah, just I want to know how deep your how not deep well deep. of knowledge went. <laughs> not that deep. Author of the original Star Trek trivia book. Oh, there you also go. Also apparently an organian, according to his byline. Sure. Um, I, have, I Nope. <laughs> okay. Well, now we've resolved. Okay, you're a fan, but you're not that deep a fan. <laughs> Correct. So uh, let's talk about favorite episodes. What, what when you look back, it doesn't have to be episodes you wrote, but uh, you know, what are some of your favorite Star Trek episodes when you look back and sort of. Of, of Deep face Nine? Of, yeah, let's talk about these Phase Nine. We've talked about the other stuff ad nausea I sure. think. Sure, let's
2: do yeah, those shows. <laughs> um, well, certainly Duet. Um, I have a fondness for In the Hands of the Prophets because it's when I think I finally figured out what the hell I was doing, mm-hmm. you know? And I learned a lot from that episode and worked very close with Michael on it. Dealing with
0: religious great. fundamentalism, which is something we hadn't really seen in the Star Trek mythos because yeah. Gene was so against dealing with spirituality or any yeah. of that. It's really, uh, I, look, I, that, I truly like that. Yeah, that, that, that opening
2: trilogy of season two is great. I'm very proud of The Wire. Mm-hmm. Um, That's I Didn't think you, that, that... I'm just going to start skipping yeah. around, but, I mean, like, The Visitor mm-hmm. gets me every oh time God, I yeah. see it. Yeah. You know, I think that a show that can do... Um, Far Beyond the Stars mm-hmm. and do Trials and Tribulations. Right. Yes. Yep,
0: You know? Yeah.
2: They're both time travel episodes. It's so elastic. <laughs> the premise you know? is so
0: great that you could do, you could go from a Trials and Tribulations or Armand Bashir. Yeah, or Armand Bashir yeah.
2: or like Little Green Men, mm-hmm. you know? Like, those are really fun shows. They're really fun to watch. Um, Bada-bing, bada-boom is mm-hmm. a lot of fun. You know, those, to be able to do those, but, but to do shows that have that kind of, the, I don't know if there's another Star Trek, episode that has the emotional impact of Far Beyond the Stars, I don't know, that one hits me like a freaking freight train when I watch it, you know, or The Visitor. Right. Mm-hmm, I love Far mm-hmm. Beyond the
3: Stars. I I give The Visitor the edge. Me too. Slightly. A sl- me too. Yeah. But it's arguable. By a micron. <laughs> By a micron. It's, it's Biomicron. arguable, yeah. you know, and it I is, think- I but it's think- amazing that both of those episodes exist in one show.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So those are all great. Um... You know, I, I have a fondness even for when we just did like some of the weird little standalones that we did. Like uh uh In the Cards. In the cards. Mm. Yeah. Or uh what's the serial killer one? Uh the one Ron did. Uh Wrong's Darker Than Death or, or night. night. Yeah. I mean <laughs> Or or the Tarek Nor one, you know, the right. the mm-hmm. the which is like a weird little horror movie that mm. we did,
3: you know? What was the one where um we're calling is uh, mpoknor mpoknor sorry Nor. but yeah the yeah. Uh, the uh, chief is uh he's in prison for
2: like Oh, yeah. Uh, I wrote that one. Yes, uh, you did. And I'm uh, like, I don't know why I'm blanking because it's one of my favorite episodes of the all time. What the heck is that one called? Now I'm Blanking Too. The one where he has 20 years of prison memories implanted in his head and he has PTSD. That's yeah. a really and he's good suicidal episode. That's an yeah, I mean,
1: Rafe Needleman would know. Yeah,
0: Rafe because would he know. Because he is the trivia <laughs> master, yeah. Organian.
2: Organian trivia master. Um. <laughs> Why am I blanking on that? See, yeah, you, I, like, I wouldn't I have, you know, if you hadn't blanked on it, I, I wouldn't, bl- have wouldn't have blanked on it, because I would have known it. No, I, I but can't remember to bring, either. Now the effort of trying to bring it up is gone. We are now it's, the it's inglorious
0: Trek sort of know pe- no things about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I, the expert has been reduced the by one step the in, the occasional You've reduced one step in rank. <laughs> there's there's like, I, I,
2: I used to know every episode title from all three shows, but now, of course... There's six so shows, much, yeah. and we're old. I'm, yeah. There's just no <laughs> it's the same for head. us. I
0: mean, I yeah. could, pro- I could tell you any. It was funny. I was, I think I mentioned to you that my nine-year-old son's really gotten into the original Star Trek, and you know, we turned on an episode. He said, "I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to watch. Um, I'm just going to put it on." And he put it on, and and literally in about a micron, I said, "You know," I told him what the episode was. Ha! He's like, "How do you know?" I mean, yeah. you you were you looking? I said, "No, I just know what happened." But it's like. It was on for one second. Yeah, hard time by the way. Hard, <laughs> oh, hard yeah. time. Oh yeah, hard time. Yeah. Absolutely okay. one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That just ticked yeah. my ass. It, it, again
2: another another. You know, it's an O'Brien Must Suffer episode. There's, yeah. there's well, he was great with that. He was great with that. Look, I think like the first, like uh, you know, some of the crossover episodes are really really fun. Blood Oath is fun as an action. We did some really good to the death. We did also, like, some really great little action-adventure episodes that some of them added to the greater mythology, some of them didn't. We tried to do—we tried to mix the genre up from episode to episode. You know, we tried to do, all right, let's do a comedy, let's do a love story, let's do an action movie, let's do a heist, let's do a mystery, Mm -hmm. let's do a film noir— you now, know,
3: correct me if I'm wrong, but to, to the death was the first time like we were on the mission with the Gem Hadar and right. we got it was the first time we got the uh the Vorta handing out the white and yeah. the Gem Hadar kind of doing the oath. Yeah. And I just remember the the delivery was it Jeff Combs who was like the the Vorta? Jeff in that? Combs was the Vorta yeah. in that. And he just but he wasn't um uh Yeah, he was. He was Wayun number one. And number this the way. Not Wei Dos or Way Trace or Way Quattro. Yeah, Wayuno. Yeah, Wayun Ocho. Actually, that would be eight. But uh Wayuno. Um he just tosses off that oath. Like he does not give a shit about the oath, but the Gem Hadar do and it's brilliant.
2: That's how he wrote it. And Jeff like so delivered. It was he's he was terrific and Clarence Williams, right? Oh yeah. yeah. The third, was the third was there. Yeah, and yeah, you guys yeah. brought
3: back just yeah. randomly, like uh, next generation stuff with like it was like the Iconian yeah. gateway and all yeah, that other was... The, That was yeah. the
2: MacGuffin. We we loved to do that. Like we loved to tie our show back to the history, especially of the original series. So if we were going to do something random, you know, if the ambassador from some country is gonna be assassinated, like there's gonna be a terrorist bomb that kills a bunch of screw it they'll be tholians right you right. know where is where is uh uh cassie from cestus right mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. because why not because we love we love the original series and we like to think that we're continuing to carry that torch and so, yeah, we would throw stuff like that in all the time. And I
0: think that's another reason why we respond so well to show because it embraces canon. It doesn't run from it. It realizes instead of all these people complaining, oh, there's so many years of Star Trek. You know, how can you keep track? How can you hope to reconcile? It, said, it embraced all that and, and it- gave the universe a denseness and a mythology, you know, that that was richer for it.
3: And it wasn't shackled by it.
0: Right. Yeah. There was
3: never a moment where I felt you guys couldn't move because you had to be slavishly devoted to something from... Sure. For not, sure. Now,
2: to be fair, at the time, we only had to be responsible to about, like, what, 200 and something episodes of television? Right. And not 600? Right. You know? So the shackles have gotten harder to dance in, right. I suspect. Um, but we enjoyed we enjoyed those references, and we didn't feel restricted by them in any way. You know, the only time we ever had to like really tap dance was was triples, right? It was Trials and Tribulations, sure. just because of the 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 Klingon stuff. And Ron came up with that brilliant solution. Even though like we have we had like we have it. We, I know what happened. You know, <laughs> Um and we had it in the script, and we talked about it, and we pitched it all out, we worked it all out, and then Ron was like. We do not speak of it. And it was like, yeah, that's yeah, it. That does it. <laughs> which
0: actually worked for the explanation we had, so. And it was brilliant. And it's best Look, and it works for that episode, too, which is light and fun yeah. and a confection.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we that was the one time when we were like, we're now going to put... The problem was that we had put Coloth and uh, Core and... Uh, Koss? Kang. 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 And episode up and in the, in the and we up in the contemporary makeup. And we put them in
0: the contemporary makeup,
2: which clearly they did not have yeah. uh, back in the day. And now, so we were already basically going like, nope, all Klingons now look like this. So that's what they're, these guys now look like this. Like, why? Well, we do not speak of it. But but we really had to face that head on, obviously for Tribulations, because we were interacting with old school Klingons and we had Worf <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> you right, know right. and it wasn't about like the TV wasn't good enough to show what the Klingons really looked like it was <laughs> they, this is how they looked
0: in those days and now they don't look like that anymore you know right. what happened so, are you still watching or... Inter- I mean, I, look, you're we're working on a network show, which is doing a, a zillion shows, uh, so I can't imagine you have much time to watch TV, but are you still following the latest with Star Trek? Do you have any interest in in, in, in the current iterations of Star Trek, or is it sort of just you don't have the time? Less than I,
2: I mean, the truth is I don't mostly have the time. I did manage to watch some discoveries, uh, and there's some great stuff about it. I mean, it definitely has its merits. Um... I just don't have the time to like deep dive. I haven't finished the first season yet, um, but there were some episodes I really enjoyed. There was a um, a mud episode that was terrific, mm-hmm. um, and they they do some really smart and fun things. I just you know it's just hard for me to, to yeah. really dig oh, into. Look, you when know, you're in the middle
0: like, of a season, it's impossible to do and, much. Yeah,
2: well we we did twenty we do twenty four a year on Elementary, or we did until last year. So, you know, we, we're we at a similar pace to what we used to do Deep Space Nine. One that, of the few. <laughs> one yeah, one of the one few of the shows few. still on television yeah, that can keep exactly. at that pace. Yeah. So
3: was there any episode that was like one that got away? Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Okay.
2: Let He Was Out Sin. Yeah. That one totally got away from us. Um, the script wasn't working. Uh, we were in the last day or two of prep and it was like a friday and i came into ira and i said like this is not working and he's like well we're going to try to make this work you know we don't have to. i'm like let's spend the weekend and just do something completely different you know we've got these actors we've got this location and he and he was like we you know we're not doing that it's not going to happen like we, this train is way too far down the tracks so we can't we can't turn it now um and so we we were hoping. Okay, well there's a lot of fun things in this episode. Hopefully the fun of it will carry it. Um and then like, you know, we went to Risa and we're shooting it in Malibu and it was 62 degrees. Oh my god. And cloudy and foggy and cold and miserable down there. No one could wear swimsuits. We couldn't do any of the exteriors we wanted to do. You know, it just was it was snake bit. Yeah. You know? and there's a few like that you know that was definitely one where we sort of like that was the one time where we knew it was going off the rails and we couldn't do anything about it yeah, because I mean, 26 episodes a year man just you can't like save
0: them all. enterprise had precious yeah. cargo which was a similar situation i mean the original was the alternative factor you know and next generation had you know like night terrors and so they all have their you know their, their yeah. these episodes where you, you can't turn the ship around in time and you know, you know it's happening. Man of the People was probably another one that they would say, you know. Shades of Grey, because Shades of, of Grey, certainly, yeah, absolutely. You know, so, so we
2: definitely were. That one was just, that episode was snake bit. Like, there, there's still stuff I will point to in that episode that's actually really fun and cool. And, like, you know, Vanessa Williams is beautiful and charming and wonderful in that episode. And Worf has that crazy-ass speech about killing someone while he was playing soccer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh so there's some fun stuff in there uh it's it's not like indefensibly a bad it's not a Terrible episode, but it's just one of those ones where we just knew it was not what we wanted it no, to. Be. And,
0: and to me, I've always said that falls under guilty pleasure as opposed to just an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, where there I mean, are, you
2: know, there's probably like, you know, there's people who would say that Meridian is, you know, another example of that fascination. Sure. Yeah. You know, Move yep. Along Home obviously is the poster child from <laughs> Passenger. <through. laughs> you know, so yeah. certainly there were some, but that was just the one time where we were like, oh god, this is this is this is going off the rails. Can we save it? Can we save it? Nope. 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 Not going to happen.
0: Well, listen, I'm so glad that you would join us. I think it's so important to, you know. In these past episodes, I we've, we've given a couple of shout outs to Deep Space Nine, but to be able to do sort of a deeper dive into it. So it's great to have Robert here, you know, and I hope you'll you'll join us again in the future. Sure. And, uh, you know, thank you to you, obviously, Ashley. Great to have you back thank again. You. And just a reminder, you can follow Inglorious Trek experts on Twitter and Instagram and Inglorious Trek, as well as on Facebook, where you can continue the conversation by suggesting show topics and give us feedback on every episode. Especially this one. This is a good one. So make sure uh, you uh, vote five stars. In addition, if you like what you hear. Oh, I just said that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, then you log in as somebody else and give us five stars. Ten stars. Watch Uh, Elementary and buy my books.
0: uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And where can they follow you on social media?
2: Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm uh, writergeekrhw on Twitter.
0: Um, well, that's a lot easier to remember the than Master, Master Zero.
2: Uh, the titles okay. of my books I, I, I'm writing a trilogy of uh, YA fantasies, and the first one is called The Goblin Crown. The second one is now out, it's called The Fallen Star. And the third one I am working on even as we speak. Well, not right now at this moment, but <laughs> when I leave here, uh, it's called The Final Drop and probably be out in a year or two. See,
0: that's a good parenthetical. <laughs> Author. Writer, producer, it's good. Yeah. You can hear new episodes of Inglorious Truck every Sunday, now Sunday, on Sundays, Sunday. wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're a fan of Star Trek Discovery, don't miss our all-new podcast, Disco Nights, with host Chase Masterson, Dabo Girl, reformed Dabo Girl from Deuce <laughs> 9. And her, uh, she'll be joined by special guests every week, with all new episodes premiering every Thursday night, which is the new night that Discovery will be premiering on CBS All Access. And finally, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here, including Natalie at the Electric uh, Studios, for making the show possible. We couldn't do it without them. Woo! Yay! And uh, so until next week, on behalf of Robert, Ashley, Myself and Darren Doctorman keep on trekking ingloriously, of course. Shh.